Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Let me ask you guys a question. Let's say you have 30 days, one month, to come up with $100,000. Do you think you can come up with $100,000 in 30 days? How many of you think that you could do that? Okay, and probably not. We think it's, it's probably impossible if you want to do it legally. Now, if you want to do it illegally, well, then that's a whole different sermon. We need to do some church discipline, some pastoral care, right? But legally, if you want to come up with $100,000 in 30 days, most of us would say that's pretty impossible. Now, let me ask you a similar question in, in a very different way. Let's say that somebody you love the person that you love the most in this world, maybe it's your husband, maybe it's your wife, maybe it's your parents, maybe your brother or sister, maybe it's your children. For me, I'm thinking about my two-year-old daughter. Her name's Esther's son. Let's say that the person that you love most in this world, they go to the doctor and the doctor tells them they're dying, that they have a, that they have a disease that is, in, that, is, that is unfortunate and that they have one month to live. But there is still hope because there is a cure There is a shot that if you give them this one shot, then it would save their life. But the problem is that shot costs $100,000. Do you think now you would be able to get the $100,000? Do you think now you would be willing to risk whatever you had to be able to do whatever it takes to be able to get that $100,000 to be able to save the life of the person that you love the most? For me, I know it would be totally possible. I would do anything. I would do everything. I would stop at nothing to be able to save the life of my little girl. I mean, forget the pastoral care church discipline. I'm investing in ski masks. Like I'm going to the bank. I'm going to hit it up. Like I am going to call everybody that I know. I'm not going to sleep. I'm not going to rest. I'm going to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 30 days. And I better believe that I'm going to get that $100,000 in those 30 days to be able to save the life of the person that I love the most. And you could tell me, no, Byron, that's impossible. You could tell me that's never going to happen, that I'm wasting my time. But guess what? I don't want to hear it. I don't want to listen to you because I am going to do whatever it takes to be able to save the life of the one that I love the most. How many of you now think it's possible to be able to come up with $100,000 in 30 days? Amen. Okay. Now let me ask you this question. Why? What's the difference between before and now? What changed? The difference is, is there's a need. See, before there wasn't really a need. You think 100,000 bucks, that would be nice, but that's not actually a need. But now there is a need. There is a great need. And let me tell you this, the greater the need, the greater the faith. That's the big idea that we're going to be looking at today. The greater the need, the greater the faith. The sermon title today is this, Jesus and Faith. And today we're going to meet a woman who's in a very similar situation as the question that I proposed to you at the very beginning. Because for this woman, her daughter is sick, her daughter is dying, but her daughter doesn't just have a disease. It's even worse than that. Her daughter is actually demon-possessed. That this, this woman, she's watching her daughter suffer. She's watching her daughter struggle. That for her, every single day of her life, her daughter is under constant torment and torture because her daughter is demon-possessed. And this woman is going to do whatever it takes. She's going to stop at nothing to be able to see her daughter's life be healed, be delivered, be changed, and be transformed. And what Jesus tells us is Jesus says that this woman has great faith. And here's the reason why. Because the greater the need, the greater the faith. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with you to Mark chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 24, and we're going to look at this story about a woman who has great faith. Now, before we get into this, let me go ahead and, and tell you this. Okay, if there's one issue or area in my life that I, I wrestle and struggle with more than anything else, it really is this issue of faith. And we hear people say all the time, you just got to have faith. You just got to keep the faith. You got to keep believing. You got to keep trusting. You need to have faith. But can we just be honest today in church that that's a lot easier said than done, amen, to have faith. And so whenever I'm preaching this, I want you to be able to understand that, that I'm not up here as an expert. And so don't look at me and say, oh, Pastor Byron, he's got some great faith. No, I'm some, something I'm still learning. 
This is something that I'm still growing in. This is something that I'm still hoping to be able to understand. And I pray that for the rest of my life, I'm going to be struggling and striving to be a person of great faith. And so most of this sermon, I'm preaching to myself. And then I'm going to invite you to listen in on what it means for us to have great faith. So Mark chapter 7, if you got your Bibles, we're going to start in verse 24. I'm going to read it all up front. And then we're going to talk about it, make a little observations. And on the back end, I want to give you five marks of a person who has great faith. So here's where we start off in 24. And there he arose, that's Jesus, and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered in a house, and he did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. So here we have Jesus, that he's just finished his early Galilean ministry, much of Jesus' ministry up until this point has taken place in a region known as Galilee. So it's places like Nazareth, Judea, places like Bethsaida, Capernaum, that Jesus is ministering primarily into this region known as Galilee. And he's about to head and make his way to Jerusalem where he's going to Calvary, where he's going to cross. His Galilean ministry period is over and he's transitioning to the Jerusalem area of his ministry. But in the meantime, in the middle, Jesus, he makes a pit stop here and he goes to this place known as the region of Tyre and Sidon. The reason Jesus is doing that is because he just wants to get away. He wants a break. He wants a vacation, maybe to take a Sabbath, maybe just to hang out on the lazy boy, eat nachos, spend time with his disciples. Jesus, he just wants to be able to get away because Mark chapter six and seven, what we've read thus far, Jesus has had a really brutal stretch of ministry. It's been very difficult for him that he first goes back to his hometown and then they start ridiculing him and accusing him and Jesus is rejected from Nazareth that Jesus goes and he climbs a mountain, walks on water, feeds 5,000 people with five loaves, two fish, gets in fights with the Pharisees. Jesus heals an entire city and then Jesus gets kicked out of church because he doesn't wash his hands. I mean, so far, this section of scripture has been very difficult. It's been very rough. It's very tough. And Jesus, he and his disciples, they just want to take a vacation. They just want to be able to take a nice little trip to Tyre and Sidon. And so he says, okay, boys, let's load up in the boat. Let's head across the Sea of Galilee. Let's go to the region of Tyre and Sidon where nobody's gonna know who we are. See, Tyre and Sidon, it's actually not Jewish. It's a Gentile place. That Jewish people, they didn't go to Tyre and Sidon. See, the Jews, they were raised to love the God of the Bible, to go to synagogue, to go to the Sabbath, to be able to pray every single day, to live in fellowship with one another. But Tyre and Sidon, they had none of that. They didn't grow up reading the Bible. They never went to Sunday school. They don't know the stories about Jonah and Noah and Moses and Elijah. They have no understanding of faith apart from the pagan religions that they were raised in. So it's a pagan place filled with pagan people who worship false idols and do terrible, horrible, wicked things in honor of those false gods. They don't know who Jesus is. And so Jesus says, hey, let's go over to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Nobody's going to know us. But then here's what Mark tells us that he couldn't remain hidden, that Jesus had become so popular, Jesus had become so famous that even people who are far from him, Gentiles from the region of Tyre and Sidon, they still have heard the stories about Jesus. And so on this day that they're least expecting it, in this least expecting place, they're gonna meet the most unexpected woman. They're gonna meet a woman who is in great need, but more than that, they're gonna see a woman who has great faith. And so we read her story as the story continues. But immediately, that's Mark's favorite word, 42 times in the gospel, Mark says, immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit. That's Mark's word for for demon. She heard of him and she came and she fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. You think that's interesting. She's a Syrophoenician. It says that she is a Gentile. Later in Matthew's gospel, we're going to see that she's actually a Canaanite, that she is far from God. So this means that for this woman, she had never been to church before. That for this woman, she has never heard the stories from the Bible before. For this woman, she's never seen Jesus. She's never experienced Jesus. She's never encountered Jesus. She doesn't know him. She doesn't love him. She doesn't believe in Jesus. But here's what we see, that this woman has, she has heard the stories about him. That's all she has is the stories that she's been told. And yet she runs to, she comes to, and she falls at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because she's heard the stories. She's heard about how Jesus has healed somebody else. 
And so she thinks if, if he healed them, then possibly he could heal my daughter. He, she's heard the stories of Jesus casting out demons, and she thinks if Jesus could do it for them, then Jesus can do it for my daughter. She's heard the stories about how Jesus has delivered others and performed miracles for others, and she's heard these stories, and her faith begins to build, and she says if Jesus did it for them, then he can also do it for me. And today, that's where some of you are at. Today, some of you, you walk in this room today and you're just like this Syrophoenician woman that you're far from God, you're in your sins, you're separated from God, but today you're hurting, today you're broken, today you're hopeless, and you heard the stories about how somebody else experienced life change through Jesus, and so you came here today wondering if it's possible for you. Some of you, you come here today and you're suffering and you're struggling and someone at work told you how Jesus had helped them. And so maybe you're here today because you're just wanting to know, is there hope for me? Is there grace for me? Is there healing for me? Can Jesus do it for them? Can Jesus do it for me? And today you find yourself in the same place of the Syrophoenician woman. You've heard the stories and you come to church wondering if they're true. Can he do it for me? Because I'm hurting. Because I'm desperate because I am in need. Today, I want you to connect with this woman. I want you to emotionally enter into it. I want you to feel her pain, sense her longing. I want you to be able to see her need, that her daughter is suffering, that her daughter is dying, her daughter is demon-possessed. Do you see it? Do you feel it? I want you to identify with her need because I wanna encourage you today that the greater the need, the greater the faith. Well, the story it continues. Here's what we see next. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. You're like, did I read that right? Did Jesus just call this woman a dog? That's kind of offensive. I can't believe Jesus would say something like that. Jesus, you can't say that a woman is a dog. You think that's confusing. Okay, well, hold your Hold it, hold it, don't get, don't get offended just yet. Okay. We'll, we'll wait and we'll talk about that in a little bit. It's important. He says, not right for me to give the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she answered him, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. Jesus answered her prayer. Jesus answered her cries. Jesus responded to our faith and he healed and delivered her daughter. The demon is gone. And Matthew's gospel, I want to read it to you because it's just so beautiful and so powerful, and it really adds some insight into this woman's faith and her story. And here's what it says in Matthew's gospel. Jesus looks at her and says, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. O woman, great is your faith. This is a story about a woman who has a great need, but more than that, this is a story of a woman who has great faith because the greater the need, the greater the faith. And really, this whole series in Mark chapter six and seven has been all about faith. That's been the major theme of this story so far. It's been really all about faith. And what's interesting to me as we read through the gospel narratives is that whenever it comes to people who demonstrate or exhibit the greatest amounts of faith, we would think that it would be the disciples. We would think that it would be the religious leaders, but that's actually not the case. That's who we think that it was. But on one occasion in the Gospel of Mark, there's only one person that Jesus ever commends for having great faith, and it's a poor Syrophoenician woman whose daughter is possessed by a demon. She's suffering, she's hurting, she's in great need. And what we see is the greater the need, the greater the faith. Now, you and me, we probably think that it would be the disciples. Wouldn't you think it would be the disciples who would demonstrate the greatest amount of faith? I mean, they knew Jesus better than anyone else. They've spent two years with him up until this point, hanging out in a community group. Could you just imagine if Jesus was your community group leader? That would be amazing, right? Some of you are like, yeah, I wish Jesus was my community group. Spent two months. Oh, wait, we'll pray for them. But either way, could you imagine if Jesus was your community group leader? I mean, they spent two years with him. They were walking with him, talking with him, sitting around a fire, eating s'mores with him. They saw Jesus preach and teach and heal and cast out demons walk on water, feed 5,000, get in fights with the Pharisees. I mean, they've seen front row seat to everything that Jesus has done. And you would think that it would be the disciples who had the greatest amounts of faith, but that's actually not the case. That over and over again, through the gospel records, here's what we see Jesus. He says, oh, you of little faith. faith. 
The people who knew Jesus the most, they still had very little faith. And then we would think that it would be the scribes or the Pharisees or maybe the religious leaders who would demonstrate the greatest amounts of faith. I mean, their entire life was spent just living in libraries and synagogues and temples in Jerusalem, just memorizing the Bible, writing the Bible, writing books about books about books of the Bible with footnotes and footnotes about the footnotes, quoting dead guys, systematic theologies. They could have it all memorized. They wrote a book, 36 chapters on how you're supposed to wash your hands. These are the people who spent their entire life looking forward to the coming of the promise of the Messiah. You would think that these would be the people who would have the greatest amounts of faith. The Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders, they're holy, they're righteous, they're pious. But every time Jesus stands in front of them, they don't demonstrate faith, but rather they demonstrate unbelief because they still don't have. What's interesting to me as I read through the gospels is that only one time in the gospel of Mark is there one person who is commended for being a person who's in great faith. And it's this poor Syrophoenician woman, a Gentile far from God, who has a daughter who is hurting and suffering and struggling and demon possessed. And Jesus looks at her and says, oh woman, great is your faith because the greater the need, the greater the faith. And some of you, you come here today and you're like the disciples. As you hang out with Jesus, you love Jesus, you spend time with Jesus, you're in a community group and you talk a lot about Jesus, but you still have very little faith anytime a great need rises. Some of you, you're like the religious leaders. You have all of the answers. You can pass the test, but you can't pass the test of faith because when Jesus is in front of you, you have unbelief, you don't actually have faith. And then some of you come here today and you're just like this Syrophoenician woman and you are hurting. You are struggling. You don't even know if God is real. You never even heard about him before. All you know is the stories that other people tell you. And so you come here today and you find yourself at the feet of Jesus and you're wondering, is there hope for me? Is there help for me? Is there healing for me? Because I'm in a place of great need. And I just want to encourage you, the greater the need, the greater the faith. And I don't know what your need is. Most likely, it's probably not demonic, but maybe it actually is. Maybe some of you are experiencing demonic accusation and torment in your life. Maybe you do hear voices in your head where it just feels like all you are is the worst day of your life, repeating over and over again to where you feel like you hear voices that you are a loser, you are fat, you are ugly, nobody loves you, nobody likes you, you're worthless, you should just go kill yourself. Maybe that's what you hear. That's demonic accusation. And you're in a place of great need. And others of us, we still all go through great need. We find ourselves in this same place. Maybe today your need is actually just depression. Maybe for you, just getting out of the bed is the most difficult thing you're going to do all day long. And you crawled and you kicked and you dragged yourself here today because you want to hear a word from God. Maybe your need is financial. You're overworked, you're overwhelmed, your bills are overdue. The bank is calling, they're wanting to foreclose your house and you can't feed your children. Your need is financial. Some of your need is in your marriage, that you and your spouse, you're fighting, that divorce has already been spoken. You come home and it just feels like a bomb is about to explode. Your, your marriage is your, your great need. Maybe it's your children. Maybe you love your children. You raised them. You taught them about Jesus. You brought them to church. They grew up. They went to college. And then they just turned their back on the Lord. They turned their back on the church. They've turned their back on Jesus. And they don't want to talk to you anymore. And so your heart is breaking because you're in great need. And it's because of your children. Maybe it's your health. Maybe you went to the doctor, get a wellness checkup, and the doctor says it's cancer. Or maybe it's worse than that. Maybe it's an undiagnosed illness and they don't actually know what's wrong with you and you find yourself in a place in your life to where you are in great need. Can I just encourage you today? That if you find yourself today in a place of great need, can I just encourage you that that's a great place for you to be? Because the greater the need, the greater the faith. And so I just want to encourage you today. I just want to build your faith. I just want to give you some hope. I just want you to be able to understand how great, how good, how powerful our Jesus actually is. And I just want to encourage you that the greater the need, the greater the faith. And so let me give you five marks of great faith from the life of this woman. The first thing we see is this, that great faith brings their problems to Jesus. Great faith brings their problems to Jesus. Here's what we see, but immediately... A woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him, came down and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her 
daughter. This woman, she finds herself in a place of great need. She has a very big problem for her. Her problem is that her little precious sweet daughter is possessed by a demon. And Mark doesn't tell us how this happened or what this looked like. But there's a couple of things commentators speculate, and there's a couple of things that we can ascertain, that demon possession is never fair, it's never pretty, and it's always very brutal. Right? Demons are very real. Demonic possession, demonization, it is very real. It's not just something mental, it's actually something spiritual. It's not just something that we can diagnose, it's something that needs to be delivered. And so this little girl, she is, she is suffering. And I want you to understand this, that Satan and demons and the spiritual enemies that we're up against, they don't fight fair. They don't care if you're 30 years old or three years old, they're still gonna come for you. And this little girl, she is demon-possessed. Now, we don't know how, but there's a couple of things that we can gather. She's from the region of Tyre and Sidon. Matthew's gospel tells us that she's actually a Canaanite. The Canaanites are the Enemies of God in the Old Testament. They had a, a false god named, named Molech, and they worshiped a god that built Asheroth temples and an Asheroth pole in the middle of the city. And the way that they would worship as Canaanites is that they would gather around this large astral pole, and they would perform child sacrifices, have orgies, and they would have women to be as prostitutes as their form of worship because that fed the fertility god and the thirst of blood of that god, Molech. And so these are the Canaanites. These are the people that they grew up in. This is the God of the region of Tyre and Sidon. And so most likely this woman grew up being abused, being sexually mistreated, worshiping demons and worshiping false gods. And that's the environment that she grew up in. And that's the same environment that her little girl, her daughter grew up in. Most likely this isn't something that this little girl did. This is probably something that happened to her because she grew up in a culture where men abused women and mistreated the people who were in need. And so through that, an open door for the demonic in this little girl's life. And that's probably how it happened, but it doesn't tell us what it looks like. Mark gives us the situation, but he doesn't actually give us the symptoms. And so whenever we read about demon possession, we typically think about what we see in the movies, like, you know, Annabelle's baby or whatever. And, and we think about those things like the conjuring. That's what we think about, but it's a little bit different than that. It's not just that. Mark, he gives us in Mark chapter 5, the Gadarean demoniac. We could just take from the Gadarean demoniac and we could just apply it to this little girl. That maybe she's cutting herself. That she's screaming at the top of her lungs like an animal. That she's crying out day in, day out. That she is starving herself, cutting herself. That her body is covered in open wounds, bleeding sores. That nobody can control her. Maybe she's being chained or tied to a bed. She's demon-possessed. Or maybe like in Mark chapter 9, the little boy that nobody could control him and the demon possession has been so great that it actually in fits of violent rage throws himself in a fire to where the demon tries to get him to commit suicide. Maybe this little girl, she's trying to kill herself. Elsewhere, we see that demons also present in sexually defiling ways. Maybe this little girl doesn't keep her clothes on. Maybe she's being sexually defiled. But whatever it is, it's not pretty. It's not good. This mom, she has a problem. What do you do when you have a problem? Where do you go when you have a, a problem? Where do you turn when you have a problem? For her, she probably turned to the pagan priests. Maybe she went to the pagan priests and the pagan temples, and she wanted all the pagans and the false gods and the false teachers to be able to serve her, but they couldn't help her. Maybe she turned to self-help. Maybe she turned to medication. Maybe she turned to medicinal treatments and other things, and, and they couldn't help her. Maybe she went to her friends, and maybe she went to her family. Maybe she went to a support group. Maybe she worked the 12 steps, and maybe she did all these things to be able to help her, but nothing she did helped her. In fact, it only constantly, continually got worse. What do you do when everything you try doesn't make it better? What do you do when everything you try only makes it worse? What do you do? Where do you go? Where do you turn in your life when everything is falling apart, what do you do? Our response should be the same response as this woman. Because what we see in her life is this, that when everything is falling apart, she falls at the feet of Jesus. When everything in your life is falling apart, here's what you do. You fall at his feet. 
That word fall in the Greek, it's proskuneo, which means she laid down flat in front of him. She was pouring her heart out to him. She was laying down, worshiping him. She fell down at his feet in your life. When everything is falling apart, here's what you do. You fall down at his feet. You say, Jesus, this problem is too big for me. You have to take it from me because there's nothing I can do. You say, Jesus, this problem is too great for me. I've tried everything on my own, but it didn't work. And so now I'm giving it to you. Jesus, I'm running to you. I'm coming to you. I'm trusting in you. I have nothing else to hope for. I have nothing else to look for. I'm laying it all down at your feet. What do you do when everything's falling apart? You fall down his feet. Great faith brings their problems to Jesus. I don't know what your problem is. I don't know what you're walking through. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what's happening in your life, but can I just tell you the truth? He did it for this woman. He's done it for me. I believe he can do it for you. If you just bring your problems to him. Great faith brings their problems to Jesus. She runs to him, she comes to him, she lays down at his feet. But the story, it doesn't stop there. There's more to it. There's more than just falling down at his feet. Here's what we see next, is that great faith perseveres through prayer. Great faith doesn't quit. Great faith doesn't give up. Great faith doesn't pray one prayer and then walk away. Great faith stays at the feet of Jesus. Great faith perseveres in their prayers. Number two, great faith perseveres in prayers. That you keep praying, 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 you keep praying until you get what you came for. You say, is that really what prayer's like? Yes. That's really what prayer is like, that you don't quit, you don't give up. And I wanna just tell you that some of you, you give up too easily. And I don't say that to condemn you, I say that to encourage you. You give up too quick, you give up too soon, you quit praying. I wanna encourage you to keep on praying because great faith persists in prayers. Here's what we see. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. You don't just beg one time. Begging is constant, continual. You stay there. She begged him, she pleaded with him. In Matthew's gospel, it gives us a little bit more detail into the situation, so I wanna read it because it just gives us beautiful insight on the persistence of prayer. Verse 22, and behold, a woman from Canaan, from that region, she came and cried out to him. And Mark says that she's begging him. Here, she's crying out that this is the tears of a mom. This is the tears of a woman whose daughter is suffering, that she is begging, she is calling out, she's crying out, that she has tears streaming down her face. And with a loud voice, she's just laying at the feet of Jesus. She's a grieving mom. And here's what she says. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her, not a word. How many of you feel that way when you pray? that Jesus is silent to you when you pray, that Jesus has nothing to say when you come to him with your prayers. How many of you feel like whenever you pray, your prayers stop at the ceiling, that God is not listening, that God does not care, and that you feel just like this woman, that when you come to him and you pray to him, and here's what you get. Jesus answered her, not a word. What do you do when that happens? What do you do in your life when you have a prayer that you're believing for, that you have something that you are believing God to do, and then all of a sudden heaven is silent? Do you give up? Do you quit? Do you give in? Do you walk away? Do you say, well, I guess heaven's closed today. God's not answering any prayers. I guess God doesn't love me. Maybe he's going to answer their prayers, but he's not going to answer my prayers. Maybe God listens to them, but he's not going to listen to me. Maybe he's going to do it for them, but he's not going to do it for me. Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe they have their life together. Maybe God loves them more. Maybe there's something wrong with me. What's the point of even praying? Because God doesn't answer my prayers. What do you do when you find yourself in that place? Do you quit? Do you give up? Or do you remain persistent in your prayers? 
It says that she's begging, and in Mark's gospel, it says that she's crying out. And so you get this picture that this is continuing on for a while, that she doesn't just fall at his knees, say a quick prayer, get up and walk away. No, she stays there at his feet for a pretty long period. Because here's where we see next, the disciples, they chime in, and the disciples came and they urged him and they said, send her away. The disciples are like, get rid of her. She's bothering us. She's bugging us. She's getting on her nerves. She's just going around crying all the time. That's annoying. And then she's talking about demons. That's awkward. Jesus, we didn't come here to have crying women talking about demons. That's not, the, that's not what we expected on our nice little vacation. And here's what it says. Send her away for she cries out after us. The disciples are like, Jesus, just, just tell her to leave. Just tell her to go. It's obvious you're not going to answer her prayers. It's obvious you're not listening to her because you're silent before her. Jesus, she is just our vibe, right? Total buzzkill, right? We're on our tyrant Sedan vacation. I mean, Thomas, he's got his Hawaiian shirt on. Bartholomew's got a drink with an umbrella in it. Me, I'm Peter. I'm just, I'm just looking to hang out, maybe catch some waves, maybe even try to walk on water. I don't know. I'm just wanting to hang out in tyrant Sedan. It's just the boys. Send her away. Get rid of her. Jesus, you're not going to answer her prayers, See, you and me, we tend to think more like the disciples. That when we come to Jesus, we're like, he's not going to answer. He's not going to listen to us. He's going to send us away. He's, gonna, he's not going to pay any attention to us. He's going to be silent before us. Just, just don't even bother. But that's actually not what Jesus says. Jesus didn't say no. Jesus didn't say anything. Jesus was silent. See, oftentimes when we hear silent, Let's, we, we tend to think, no, God's not listening. God's not answering. Then it must not be God's will. It must not be God's plan for my life. God must have said, no, that's not true. Jesus, he didn't say, no, he didn't say anything. Silence does not mean no. Does not, it means not yet. When you're praying, silence does not mean no. It just means not yet. Here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is giving this woman an opportunity to spend time at his feet. That your problem is really just an opportunity for you to spend time at the feet of Jesus. What you're going through is really just an opportunity for you to come to him, to run to him, for you to spend time with him. And Jesus wants to build your faith through your problem if you remain persistent in your prayers. Jesus is giving her an opportunity to build her faith, to trust in him, to turn to him, and to come to a place to where a total dependence on Jesus to where everyone knows beyond the shadow of a doubt that he is the only one, he is the only way to be able to get glory from this situation. Jesus is giving her a moment, an opportunity to, be able to spend time at his feet. Are you okay with God doing that for you? Are you okay with God giving you a moment to be able to test your faith, to add to the testimony of your faith? That for this woman, what Jesus is doing here is he's not just saying no, he's saying not yet because he's about to do something in her life that's gonna change her life forever and inspire millions all around the world through all of human history. He's given her an opportunity to spend time with him. And silence, it doesn't mean no, it just means not yet. You gotta remain persistent in your prayers. It says here that she is begging him, she is crying out to him. This is what prayer is supposed to look like, that we're constantly, continually going to the feet of Jesus, bringing to him our problems, and then he is going to, in that moment, build our faith for that. Some of you, you give up too quick, that you hear silence and you automatically think no when that's actually not the case. Here, let me give you an illustration. I can tell some of you are kind of wrestling with this, so let me give you an illustration to better help. Okay, I'm a dad. Okay, God's a father. Okay, so I like to think of God like a father. Those of you who are dads, you understand this. Whenever my little girl comes to me and she, she makes a request, I have three answers for everything. Yes, no, and not yet. And so for my little girl, like when, when I walk in the door, it's the most beautiful thing. I walk in the door, I open the door, and she goes, Daddy's home. And then she runs up to me and she goes, Daddy, 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 Daddy. That's what prayer looks like. 
And she runs, she says, Daddy! And then she comes in, I pick her up, and she automatically starts making requests. She's like, hey, can we do this? Can we go play with chalk? You want to go cuddle? You want to go sit on the couch? You want to pet the cat? You want to say, Monica, okay, hold on. All right, too much, too fast. Okay, so let's just figure this out. That's what prayer looks like. You can go to God at any time, and you just throw your arms up, run to him, and then you can just begin to make requests. So the other day, we were having family dinner, and me and Ashley were sitting there with Esther, and we're eating our dinner, and you know, we lay it all out, take a bite, and then Esther takes a bite, and as soon as Esther takes a bite, she looks at me, she says, popstick? Okay, that's her way of saying popsicle. She loved, that girl loves popsicles, and she calls them popsticks. And so she, she's eating it, she takes one bite, and she says, popstick? And what do you think my answer in that moment is? See, most people would say no. The answer is not yet. Why are you so fast to think God's telling you no? What happened in your life to think that so quickly God is going so fast to telling you no? Why do you think God says no so much when really what God is saying is not yet? I believe that God answers more prayers than we realize. I believe that we serve a God who loves to say yes, but so many of us, we misinterpret silence as no when really it just means not yet. See, my little girl, every single bite she took, here's what she said, popstick. She would not let it go. She just kept saying, popstick, 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 popstick. And after 30 minutes of listening to this little girl taking bites of her food and wanting a popstick, she finally finished her meal. And then guess what daddy did? Daddy got up, went to the freezer, got that girl a popstick. <laughs> but some of you, you want your miracle after one prayer. You want your answer after one bite. That's not how it works. You gotta keep on praying, keep on praying, keep on praying, keep on praying, and don't quit, don't give up, don't give in. Great faith is persistent in prayer. You say, Jesus, I'm coming to you, I'm laying down at your feet, and I'm not getting up until you answer me. I'm not leaving this place until you give me what I came for, and I'm not taking silence for an answer. Because it doesn't mean no, it just means not yet. Don't quit. Great faith is persistent in their prayers. And so this woman, she comes and she lays down at the feet of Jesus and she's begging, she's crying out. And then here's the next thing we see, number three, is that great faith believes that Jesus makes an exception. As I'm saying this right now, here's what some of your, your minds are going to. You're like, yeah, well, I know so-and-so, they prayed and they still died. Guess prayer didn't work. Well, I know one guy, he went down front to the altar and he believed God for a miracle and it didn't work for him. Guess it's not gonna work for me either. Well, I know one person, you know, they prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they didn't get it. Oh, I guess it's not for me either. So what's the point of even praying? Don't you love that? People talking themselves out of miracle before they even gave God a shot. The other day, me and Ashley, we were at the doctor and we were visiting someone and we're in the back room and the doctor's kind of doing all the tests and there's two little nurses in there and they're in training and the doctor's just telling them all these things that could go wrong and all these things that could happen and all these problems that could come up. And I'm listening to him like, hey, we're not, we're still in the room here. Wait till you leave to start talking about these things. Hey, can we just talk about faith for a minute? Can we just talk about some of the amazing things that God's done? Can we just talk about stories about how people, they turned out okay? Can we just do that? Can we just talk about faith for a minute? Why are we so quick to, to jump straight to the worst possible scenario? I tell you that God's done a miracle in someone's life, and here's what you say. Oh, well, you know what? That's just the exception. But you know what? I believe God makes exceptions. Some of us, we just make excuses when it comes to prayer. But I believe when it comes to prayer, God loves to make an exception. Here's what we see here. It says in verse 27, and he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. How many of you that makes uncomfortable? You're like, Jesus, you can't say that. It's the 21st century. Somebody's going to get triggered. You can't say somebody's a dog. How dare you? And some people, when they read this, they get very offended. But can I just tell you, if you're offended by this, you you probably need to be offended a little bit more. But if you're offended by this, then maybe that's the reason you're not seeing faith in your life. That offense is keeping you from faith. That you're so offended at the words of God that you're not opening yourself up to be able to receive from him. 
Maybe it's that offense that's keeping you away from faith. Don't carry this woman's offense because she actually wasn't offended by this. In a moment, she's going to respond not with offense, but rather with great faith. I just want to say that some of you, you're so offended at God, and that's the reason you're not seeing him move, and that's the reason why you're not seeing faith is because you're offended. You know, as I read through the Bible, the only people who were offended at the words that Jesus said were the Pharisees. And they demonstrated unbelief. Offense is going to keep you from God. And so this woman, she's going to respond not with offense, but rather with faith. Listen to this. It's not right for me to take the children's bread and to throw it with dogs. And here's what she says. Yes, Lord. You're right. You're right. It's not right. But here's what I know. That even dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. I just love that. That's, that's great faith because here's what she knows. She knows that Jesus is going to make an exception for her. And here's what I, I think is a little strange, right? I've been reading this Bible story, prepping through the whole series. I've read it for about 10 years, and this one story has stood out to me, and it's just one that I, I never understood. This story is actually very strange. I mean, when you read through it, you're like, okay, wait. So he's in Tyre and Sidon. He's not supposed to be there. He's in a women's area that Jesus here, a woman's coming to him, which is totally unusual. Women don't run to rabbi men, especially in that culture. Then her dog is demon possessed. That's awkward. And then all of a sudden, Jesus calls her a dog. Like, whoa, I don't want to touch that sermon. And I thought, this is so strange. Why would Jesus sit here and talk to this woman and say that she is a dog? Okay, well, here's, here's what we know is that Jesus is Jewish. Okay, and so for the Jewish people, he's in a Gentile region, and the Jewish people referred to the Gentiles as dogs, that they were seen as unclean, they were unworthy, they were, they were unwelcome, they were to be outside because they weren't the children of God. They were seen less than, unequal to, they were seen as dogs. And so what Jesus is actually doing here is using terminology that she would be very familiar with, and he's using local colloquialism to be able to speak to her in a way that she understands. And he says, basically, it's not your turn that you don't deserve this miracle. You don't deserve for your daughter to be delivered because it's not your time, it's not your turn, you're not a child. You're not Jewish. And she understood this because the gospel has to begin somewhere. You're like, I can't believe Jesus would tell someone no. But really, Jesus' ministry came to be for the Jews first. That Jesus came to minister to the Jewish people, to reach the Jewish people, to bring revival to the Jewish people, to give them opportunity first to be able to repent. I mean, guess what? The gospel has to start somewhere. And so it started with the Jewish people. We see this, the apostle Paul, he says that the gospel is for the Jew first and then for the Gentiles. It doesn't mean it's not for the Gentiles. It just means it's not their time. Because here we see we're 21st century, right? Beaumont, Texas, totally not Jewish. It still made its way here. It has to start somewhere. It's why Jesus says to the disciples, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. But it starts with the Jewish people first. And so what Jesus is saying, he's looking at her and saying, guess what? You're not Jewish. You don't deserve this miracle. You don't deserve what it is that you want from me. You don't understand what you're asking from me because it's just not your time. But this woman says, you know what? I know I don't deserve it. I know I don't deserve it. I know that I don't deserve what you're about to do for me, but here's what I know. I'm coming to you. I've run to you. I'm here right now. I know you don't just send people away. I know the stories that you've done for other people, and here I am flat at your feet, and here's what I believe. I believe not only that you can, but you will, and I believe you're going to make an exception for me. Great faith believes that Jesus makes exceptions. Can I tell you the difference between this woman's faith and our faith? This woman not only believes that Jesus can, she also has the faith is that we believe that he can, but we don't believe that he will. I think that's the number one reason that so many people struggle to see answers to prayer. It's because they believe that he can, but they doubt that he will. Theologically, we say, oh yeah, Jesus can heal, but personally, do you believe it? See, theologically, Jesus, he can do anything, but personally, do you think that he could do anything? You say, no, no, I believe that he can, but you doubt that he will. I meet with people all the time, and they come forward for prayer, and they say, hey, can I, can I pray for you? I want to believe a miracle for your life. Can I just lay hands and pray that God's going to heal you? And they say, oh, well, yeah, sure, you could pray for me, but I just don't think it's going to happen. And then they start running through the list of everything that's wrong with them. I'm like, you want me to pray for that? They're like, well, I have a doctor's appointment coming up next week, and, you know, I, I, I've had this for 20 years. I've just really kind of gotten used to it. And then all of a sudden, they're just talking themselves out of what God wants to do. Because theologically, they believe that he can. They're like, I'm not going to turn down prayer, but you know what? By the way I live my life, it looks like I do. 
Because you believe that God can, but you don't believe that God will. Do you believe that he can? You're like, oh, yeah, I believe that he can, but do you believe that he will? Well, you know what? I mean, theologically, yeah, I totally understand it. But, you know, some people in the Bible, they don't get healed. And, you know, I was reading through, and Paul prayed about the thorn in his flesh, and God didn't remove the, the thorn from Paul. Hey, guess what? Today you're not Paul. Today you're the Syrophoenician woman. We're like, well, Moses, he didn't get to go see the promised land. But the Syrophoenician woman, she got her miracle. You're like, well, the Bible says, but the Bible also says that sometimes people get healed. Sometimes they don't, but sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't get their miracle. Yeah, but sometimes they do. Quit comparing yourself to Paul. Today, you're the Syrophoenician woman. God, today, I'm the Syrophoenician woman. Today, I'm throwing myself at, my, at your feet, and I'm just calling out, and I'm crying out, and I'm begging you. You have to do something. God, I know that you make exceptions. I know that you heal. I know that you do it, and my prayer is that you would help me. You would help me. That's what she prays. Help me. Help me. Help me. Can I just tell you, when you're suffering, you don't, people don't need theology. They need faith. When people are hurting, they don't need you running through a siloquism of doctrine. They need faith. When people are pain and people are suffering, they don't need you to explain the problem of evil, walk them through the five points of Calvinism, and take them down the Romans road. What they need is faith. They need to know, I'm standing with you. I'm believing with you. I'm hoping for you. And I believe that Jesus makes exceptions. Because as I'm reading through this book, I see more people who get answered prayers than people who don't. Do you believe this is true? Then you believe he answers prayers. I'm reading through this book and I'm going through the gospel of Mark and I'm just seeing demon delivered, demon delivered, person healed, miracle after miracle after miracle. And then we have the audacity to say, oh, he's not going to do it. Great faith believes that he's going to make an exception. Today, you're the Syrophoenician woman. Tomorrow, you can be Paul. But today, we're the Syrophoenician women. We're desperate. We're hurting. We're in need. And we believe that he's going to make an exception. Great faith believes that. What we also see is that great faith knows that Jesus can do a lot with a very little Here's what it says. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. I love her prayer here. Jesus says, you don't deserve this because you're not a child. You don't deserve this because you're not Jewish. You don't deserve this because, well, because you're, you're a dog. You don't, you don't deserve this. And she says, yes, Lord, I don't deserve it. Listen, if that offends you, that Jesus would say you don't deserve something, you don't understand the gospel. Because the whole gospel is you don't deserve anything. The whole point of the gospel is that we're all sinners separated from God, that we can't earn our grace. We can't earn our salvation. We don't deserve what God gives to us. The whole point of the gospel is that Jesus loves to give to people who don't deserve it. And if this offends you, then you don't get the gospel. If you come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I deserve this, guess what? You're not going to get it. But if you come to him and you say, yeah, I'm unworthy and I'm unclean and I'm not perfect and I don't deserve this, but I'm coming to you anyway, then guess what? Heaven is open to you. Grace is available to you. And you're going to get to see Jesus do amazing things in your life. Amen. Great faith believes that Jesus can do a lot with very little. Just listen to her prayer. Jesus says, it's not right to take the bread of the children and give it to dogs. And she says, I'm not asking for the bread. I just want a crumb. She's not asking for the loaf. She's not asking for a five-course meal. She's not asking to be taken to sugars on a nice little date on a Friday night. That's not what she's asking. You know what she's asking for? She's asking for just a little bit, just a small amount. All she says is this, but I can get a crumb. And if I can just get a crumb for Jesus, then it's going to give me everything that I need. Because here's the deal. It's just a little bit for Jesus. It's more than enough for us. 
Just so Jesus from Jesus is more than enough for us. All she wants is a crumb, but one crumb from Jesus can change everything in your life. Just one little bit, just one little touch, just one small crumb coming from the Lord can change your life forever. You don't need the loaf, you just need a crumb. She says, yes, Lord. What is he Lord of? Think about that. He is the Lord, the Lord of the universe, the Lord of time. He's outside of all existence, triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He is the Lord before all things, after all things, the one whom all things are held together by. He invented stars and galaxies. He created trees. He dug the mountains with his hands. He put the rivers in there that he formed you in your mother's womb. He is the Lord. And you think your problem's bigger than him? Your problem's just a crumb. You think your marriage is bigger than him? It's just a crumb to him. You, you, think, you think your children are too big of a problem for him? It's just a crumb. You, you think that your financial situation, you, you think that your job situation, you think that what you're going through, the pain that you're in, think that the disease that you have, the suffering you experience, the hurt that you've walked through, do you think that's too big for him, too impossible for him? You're mistaken. All it is to him is nothing but a crumb. And even people just like you get crumbs from the Lord's table. You don't need the whole bread. All you need is just a crumb. Just one little bit, just one little touch coming from the master's table is more than enough for whatever you're walking through. Because just a little bit from Jesus is more than enough for us. Jesus has enough. Jesus is enough. Jesus has everything that you need. He can supply every need that you have. And just a little bit from Jesus is more than enough from us. All it takes is just a crumb and your life can change forever. If you would just come to him, if you would just run to him, if you would just bow down before him, just a little bit from Jesus is more than enough for us. And then the last thing we see is this. Great faith believes that Jesus still answers prayers. So this woman, she comes running to Jesus. She has no business being there. She's far from him. She doesn't believe in him. She doesn't know him. She's never seen him before. All she knows is the stories that she has been told. She runs down, she bows before Jesus, she's crying, she's pouring her heart out, her daughter is demon-possessed, she's suffering, and she runs to Jesus, and Jesus looks at her, and he says, oh woman, you have such great faith. He says, you're in great need, but you have this great faith. She finds herself at the feet of Jesus. What do you think Jesus is going to say? How do you think Jesus is going to respond? What do you think Jesus is going to do? Do you think Jesus is going to say, oh, you know what? Heaven's closed, not answering prayers today. Do you think Jesus is going to send her away and say, hey, I'm on vacation. Come visit me when I'm back in Galilee. What do you think Jesus is going to say? He's going to look at her and say, um, uh, no. Nice try, nice tears, go away. Do you think Jesus is going to say that? Of course, we read it and say, that's not what Jesus say. But every time we pray, that's what we think that our reality doesn't line up with Scripture, that our mindsets doesn't line up with Scripture. See, when we go to pray, in the back of our minds is, God's not going to answer this prayer. But when you read the Scriptures, you know that's not true. So why is there a disconnect between the reality and the Scriptures in your life? Jesus doesn't send her away. I've never read in here where Jesus does send anybody away. Jesus is always bringing people to a place of great faith, and that's what he wants to do in your life today. And this woman, she has great faith because she believes that God is going to answer her prayers. Here's what, here's what it says. And he said to her, for this statement, I want to just point this out. That it's the statement that she's made. What are you speaking over your problems? What are you saying about your situation? She had faith, and she spoke it out in faith. She says, God, I believe you're going to do something. And she spoke out and responded to Jesus in faith. And he says, for this statement, now listen, I'm not some word of faith preacher, blab it, grab it, name it, claim it, but I can tell you this, that the words we use are powerful over our lives. And some of us, we're talking ourselves out of a miracle that God wants to do because of our unbelief and because of our struggle and our wrestle with faith. 
She spoke great faith. If you can't say words of faith, just don't say anything. If you can't speak life over your situation, just hold your tongue. If you can't speak what God wants and what God wills in your life, then you need to spend more time in prayer. The statement she says is what opened the doors. And here's what it says. For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter and she went home and she found the child laying in the bed and the demon gone. Can you imagine this woman's joy? Could you imagine going home and seeing your daughter delivered? Could you imagine just what it would be like for that girl? I mean, for that girl, it says she's lying in bed. I mean, did she brush her hair? She's sitting up. Is she smiling? Like when she walked in the door, did she say, Mommy, come here, cuddle with me. Come lay in bed with me. It's a little girl. She's been delivered. And then the mom, she walks in. Could you just imagine the joy? For those of you who are moms, can you just imagine this? Going home and seeing that your daughter is made well, that your daughter is healed, that you're, you're laughing, you're crying, tears are pouring face because for this woman, her life changed forever on this day. Her daughter has been delivered. Now, what do you think would happen if she gave up praying? Story would be very short. A woman came to Jesus. She fell down at his feet. She prayed. Jesus said, no, no, now's not the time. You're a dog. And she gets up and she leaves. Be a very sad story. But that's not the God we serve. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not the God that we believe in. That's not the God that we see on these pages of scripture. And that's not the God who hears your prayers. The God who hears your prayers. He loves to listen to you. He loves it when you come to him. He loves it when you spend time with him. God loves to hear your prayers. And more than that, God loves to also answer prayers. I believe that God still answers prayers. This woman, she has great faith because she comes to him and she believes that Jesus is going to answer her prayers. Do you believe that Jesus answers prayers? That's what great faith does. And so here's what I want to do. As we, as we wrap it up, I, I, want to, I want to just tell you some stories of people in our church who have had prayers answered and seen Jesus do amazing things. Because remember, it was the story she heard that built her faith. And so for some of you, your faith is really struggling because and, and, you don't hear the stories. And for them, it was the stories that built the faith. And so I want to just tell you some stories from people in our church who have had God answer prayers in their life. And hopefully this encourages you. Hopefully this builds your faith and brings you to a place to where you can expect big things coming from God. Just let me read you some stories. I mean, it's incredible. Andy, he writes this, after seven years of infertility and miscarriage, one day my wife heard from God saying to go to the front of the church and have the elders anoint you with oil and I will heal you. We did exactly what God said to do and we got pregnant that very week. And if you believe in miracles, his name's Jackson. He's in the back room. You can go look at one. God answered their prayers because he still answers prayers. Joe writes, the other day during prayer night, Pastor Byron challenged us to pray for three people and invite them to Easter Sunday. Well, before I finished praying for them, one of my people actually texted me and asked if they could come to church with me on Easter Sunday because he answers prayers. Crystal writes, when I was in my addiction, I was for God to get me out of it, but I didn't feel like it was possible. I lost everything. I lost my house. I lost my car. I lost my family. I lost my kids. And I was on probation about to go to prison. And then I met my husband, who is also in recovery. We gave our lives to Jesus. He delivered us from our addiction. And today, we have more from Jesus than what our addiction stole from us. Today, they have a great marriage, five awesome children, a great church. And she serves as the deacon of Redemption Women because God still answers prayers. One girl writes, I always struggled to be perfect, but last year my life was falling apart. I was tired and exhausted. I felt terrible, like I was drowning. One day I woke up an hour late for work, but instead of stressing out about it, I decided to calm down and take a breath, and I believe that God answered that prayer because, did you not, I believe that God stopped time for me because this sounds crazy, but I was 10 minutes early to work. I can't explain it, and it wasn't as I prayed for it, but here's what God said. Hey, I hear you, and I got you because he still answers prayers. One guy writes, I've been praying. Um, another woman writes, for as long as I can remember, my husband hated church. 
He got hurt a long time ago from the church and wanted nothing to do with it for years. I would go to church by myself and pray for him, but it was hard and it was lonely. But recently something happened. After coming to redemption, it's like a 180 in his life. He loves church. He prays with their kids. And he is now becoming the spiritual leader in our home that I always prayed for because God still answers prayers. One more because this is amazing and it's important to me. <laughs> Ashley, my wife, she writes a similar story to Andy's. Andy, I'm not trying to one-up you, but this is amazing. I just think this is awesome. Here's what she told me. She said, me and Byron tried for years to get pregnant, but all we had was a miscarriage. I became very bitter at God, wondering why I couldn't become a mom that I desperately wanted to be. It hurt so bad. But after never giving up and praying, the Lord did a great work in my heart. And after six years of infertility, God gave us a sweet little girl, Esther's son, because he still answers prayers. And every time I walk in the door, Esther's right there. She says, Daddy. And I'm reminded every single day that God still answers prayers. Now back to my original question. How many of you think that you could come up with $100,000 in 30 days for the person you need to love the most? Then why is it so hard for you to believe that God's going to answer your prayers? None of us have ever come up with $130,000 but we have seen over and over and over and over and over and over and over again that God answers prayers. He loves you more than anything else in the world. He loves it when you come to him. He loves it when you run to him. He loves it when you spend time at his feet because he's building your faith to expect to see great things. You come here today and you're in great need, but can I just encourage you that great need brings about great faith. Don't give up. Don't give in. Keep praying. Keep the faith. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Oh.